came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. We've got one great show for you today to find out what's really going on in our city, our state, New Jersey, Connecticut, the whole region we have with us. Governor David Patterson, who will give us an evaluation of what's going on with the migrant crisis. Congressman Peter King, Borough President Vito Fasella, Eric Shuffler on baseball, play ball, Steve Cates on the skies, uh, Alphonse D'Amato. And let's start off the show with Michael Stoller on Real Estate Report. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I have my good friend, Ralph Bumbaka, who is the commercial market president in New York City for TD Bank. Ralph has been in the banking business for the past 35 years and recently joined TD Bank in 2010. Thanks for being here today. Good morning, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here with you. You know, it's interesting. We have two Brooklyn boys on the show, you and me. So what what's your thoughts about the Brooklyn business market for real estate? You know, I, I love Brooklyn in a lot of different ways because it is hometown, but that entrepreneurial spirit of what we're seeing that's being created in the various neighborhoods where small businesses are coming back in a way that's attracting jobs, building communities, and really making a difference throughout the neighborhoods and the activity. It's vibrant and it's exciting, especially throughout all the outer boroughs here in New York City. During these difficult days, you know, with high interest rates, what is what have you changed to do in your business, your model? Yeah, so very challenging when you get this type of rapid rise. We haven't seen this in over 20 years. Probably some additional increase to come. So I think we're in that point, that tipping point, where we need to look at transactions in a way that may not necessarily have been the way we would look at them when there was a very low-rate environment. So challenging for both clients and for our bank underwriting. But I think there are better days ahead as rates start to normalize and stabilize. With regard to rates and everything, it's all predicated on interest bringing in money. What are you What are you doing with regarding to get new deposits, especially when you have Chase and certain the other banks over there providing higher yields? I think, as you mentioned in the in the intro here, our our service and the way we connect with our clients. And our ability for our bankers to really have that deeper conversation with our clients and show the full offering of the bank and what it's able to bring to each of our clients is the difference. And that level of engagement has attracted new clients and additional deposits to the bank. Which area do you see the most activity with regard to the real estate market that you're involved with? Uh, you know, so the multifamily asset class has uh, continued to be an active area for us. We continue to lend into that space. Even in, with regard to stabilized rents? Even in regards to stabilized rents. I think there, there are the appropriate price points and quality opportunities out there that we'll continue to pursue. What about the office market? There are certain new offices being built. What's your thought about that? So I'm encouraged about what we're seeing in the numbers as far as activities occurring in, in the office space. I think it's kind of the beginning 
of that return to office, which will take additional time. And really to know where these properties are going to stabilize at is going to be a key indicator. So a little bit more time, we flick the switch off to turn that switch back or turn that dial back. Is, you know, we're going to need a little bit more time to hit that reflection point of where we know the value is within office space. You know, many people say that unless you have an established relationship, you're not going to be able to get a loan. What's your thoughts? I mean, to be honest. Well, New York City, you know, uh, it's a big place, but yet we it's a small place. I think understanding our clients, understanding new opportunities with new clients, I think we're always open for that level of conversation. So while we continue to support all the endeavors of our existing clients, we're always welcome for new opportunities. And I think we've experienced that in good times and in, and in times that are a little bit more challenging. And these certainly, from a banking perspective for clients, can be challenging in dealing with their existing banks. Okay. We omitted the subject of Coney Island Hotel. The, the creation of a new hotel in Coney Island. So that that would be awesome. I was down at a Cyclones game just the other night. Um, great activity down there. A lot of housing being developed. I I think it's a it's an area served by the rail system. Uh, so there is access. Uh, the beachfront, the boardwalk. Uh, love to see a uh, uh, an enterprise like that down in there. Really kind of round out the complement of the asset class there. What's happening in downtown Brooklyn? You've, I mean, you've lived downtown. You know the market over the years. What's going on now with Metrotech and a couple of new buildings and so on? So that Gowanus down that corridor, down the Gowanus, Fourth Avenue, down into downtown Brooklyn, um, challenging, changing, uh, exciting. Um, a, a lot of, of families coming back into that space. Um, new, uh, new retail being developed. So uh, it's an exciting time downtown, in downtown Brooklyn, uh, especially along the uh, Gowanus Corridor. What about the Bronx? The Bronx, so Mott Haven, um, really attracting a lot of visibility given the, uh, the stock that's coming, coming online uh, and the price points, the views. Uh, exciting part um, to see, and the, and the Bronx is uh, a very special uh, market. Right, and the fact that they're opening additional train stops. Metro North, uh, I think uh, the build-out of those platforms is going to be significant to the continued growth of the Bronx market. What about Queens, especially Flushing and other areas like that? Always dynamic, diverse, exciting marketplace, a lot of activity. Um, Also a hub of small business and and activity and good consumer activity and and so uh, continued growth there. The borough that nobody really talks about, Staten Island. Staten Island, uh, you know, unique in its um, in its position. A lot of uh, a lot of press recently about the borough and, and where it stands. So hard to tell where, where where things lead to there in Staten Island. One thing is certain that TD is going to continue to blend, and I'm, one, I'm very happy that I have Ralph Boombacher today. See you next week. Great to be with you, Michael. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130. 
for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. What is today is former Governor David Patterson, and he's always been a spokesman for common sense in our city, our state, our country, and there's so many things going on that don't have common sense. We're going to David Patterson this morning, Sunday morning. Well, Governor Patterson, what the heck is going on? Well, we had an interesting situation this week where a court order compelled the state, meaning Governor Hochul, to write a letter to the city, meaning Mayor Eric Adams, about compliance with uh, some of the shelter laws. And I won't go into the specifics. It's too boring. But the point is that the letter was publicized and the media made a little bit about that. You know, the mayor and the governor, you know, uh, you know, like the uh, the honeymoon is over and, and that kind of thing. And that's not really the case. <clears throat> so I thought I would kind of just try to explain it. Uh, New York, I, obviously, New York City and New York State have always had this little tension between the mayors and the governors. This goes back to Mayor Wagner, the Democrat, and Governor Rockefeller, the Republican, uh, Mayor Lindsay, the Republican, and Governor Rockefeller, the Republican, and Governor Kerry, the Democrat, and Mayor Koch, the Democrat. So it didn't really, it wasn't a party issue. It was more of a territorial issue. When I was in office, I never really had any problems with Mayor Bloomberg. As a matter of fact, an hour and a half before I was sworn in, in 2008, Mayor Bloomberg came to my office, and he asked me how I was feeling. I said I had a splitting headache. So he said, well, why don't you go there and take a nap on the couch? I'll work on my cell phone. I've got to return a lot of messages. Everybody else will think we're meeting, and then you can get some rest. And I was able to get up from there and give my inauguration speech. But more than that, it created a little bond between the two of us. So we never really had any big problems. But in this particular situation, I don't think this is a problem that's being caused by the city or the state. I think it's being caused by the federal government that has shipped 160,000 migrants when they get done, at least in their current uh, venture. And there is no municipality uh, on this planet that could handle that number of people coming in at the same time. Even if Mayor Adams said that he welcomed immigrants, immigrants were always welcomed in New York City. That's getting thrown back in his face now. But how could he have envisioned at that time that we'd have so many people coming from New York City uh, that were migrants that if there are too many more, they'll have their own congressional district. No, I, I agree with you 100 percent. You know, it's not really a law. And the, 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 the migrant thing was supposed to be, you know, for maybe a thousand, maybe 500, maybe a few thousand, but not for 150,000 people. It's out of control. And, you know, right. it, 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 I spoke to Congressman King before, and it's uh, we're worried about the diseases they're coming in because they're coming in unchecked. That we're worried about the kids going into the schools with the d- diseases unchecked. And we're worried about terrorists and, and, uh, and uh, dope dealers coming across the borders unchecked. I mean, it's just it, it, it doesn't make any sense at all, Governor. Another unchecked problem, John, is that in upstate New York, there is a terrible teacher shortage, but there may be a greater number of young students, and they just don't have the number of teachers to keep up with the students. This is the kind of plan that should never have been enacted within a year. In other words, I think it would have taken a year to try to adjust the facilities and the capacity of a city 
or a count or wherever you're sending migrants uh, to uh, adjust to it. And the federal government has decided they're sending the people in. And, uh, you know, we should just be, you know, happy that, uh, that I don't know what it is that they expect. And they and um, they sent really no money. Governor Hochul, to her credit, uh, at the end of session, explained to the legislative leaders how serious this was. And without any a long debate or discussion, they sent a billion dollars. Now, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the issue is going to come up again. Because it, when they sent that money, there were about 80,000 people uh, who are migrants in, uh, that have just been moved to the city. That number is going to double by the time they can get back into session next year. Well, where, where, you know, this money, uh, what was Governor Hochul? She was very upset that there were no checks and balances on this money? Or what was she upset about? Uh, wh- what it is is that there were some actions that the city had to take to be in compliance with the shelter law. The state didn't think that the city did that. The state has to answer in court itself, and that's why they were compelled to write the letter. I see situations like this, it's often better to call someone because once you put something in writing, you never know who's going to read it. And it really isn't that bad, but it just looked bad because of the nature of Uh, the fact that a letter was actually written. But I think both the governor and the mayor uh, Wednesday afternoon spoke. And it's clear they've done very well together. And after what went on over the last 10 years between the mayor and governor at that that time, it's welcome that the two of them have an ability to work together. Understood. Uh, What else are you worried about on our city? I mean, uh, it's it's out of control now. uh, uh, When we talk to Congressman King, besides, uh, he's worried about the Creedmoor situation on the same on the border of Nassau County that they're going to start going into Nassau County. Well, Congressman King is uh, always has something important to say, and he's a member of the ABC family and another member of the ABC family was so um, uh, taken aback that they were going to put, put these uh, migrants on Rikers Island, that he decided to chain himself to the fence. And that would be uh, my former broadcasting partner from years ago, Curtis Lee. So he, uh, you know, <laughs> he, uh, as he always is able to do, uh, capitalized well, yesterday, on yesterday, when he was in the studio yesterday, we played his new theme song, they're coming to take me away, away. They're coming to take me away. <laughs> From 1965, John. Now, his ex-wife, his ex-wife is the DA of Queens County. Uh, yes. I hope uh, it, it's not coming to a point where she has to prosecute him. <laughs> but, you know, it's it really in the middle of the summer with really these really difficult situations going on, usually when the summer is a lot more peaceful and um, the city being overwhelmed with new uh, migrants into the place. Uh, I think it was great to have a, a lighter note and um, uh, a little demonstration of uh, civil disobedience. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, he wanted to prove a point, and I think he did prove a point. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Well, um, I think as we get into... September, October, November, the same discussion that we've had is just going to intensify. And it does not seem to be any 
willingness or ability on the part of the federal government who stuck this problem on us. And I really uh, uh, think it, it was out of line and uh, it is could it in some ways backfire when other cities have the same problem as New York City, that there might be a kind of city versus country revolt, which we probably need at this point, because uh, I think most people are very sympathetic to the plight of the migrants and would like to help. But as in any situation, you know, even when you're giving to charities, you give as much as you can, not as much as they think you should. And, and, and we've hit that tipping point. Mayor Adams said that about a week ago, and we're getting even farther into it. Well, thank you, uh, Governor David Patterson, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is uh, tired Congressman Peter King. Peter King, what's on your mind this Sunday morning? John, actually, first of all, it's great to be on with you on Sunday. And I have a few things on my mind, and maybe I'm more emotional than usual, but just several things. One, uh, in Suffolk County, the sheriff, Errol Toulon, he's doing a phenomenal job with the Bureau uh, murderer. He's responsible for keeping him safe to make sure that uh, there's no attempted suicide and no one tries to do what happened to Jeffrey Epstein. I had dinner with Errol Toulon the other night, and he is so committed and so conscientious. We're really lucky to have someone of his stature in that position. So I just want everyone to know you couldn't have a better person protecting a very bad guy. But it has to be done for the sake of justice. And so long as you know, no one thinks that anything improper happened or somebody else was involved, this is, to me, the best thing that can be done. So I give Errol Toulon tremendous credit. The other thing is, you know, up till now, for the most part, the invasion, if you want to call that, of the migrants has been in New York City. And now there's two things happened in the last few days that really have Nassau County very concerned. One is putting up the 1,010 facility at Creedmoor, which is right on the border of Nassau County. You have communities like Belrose, Floral Park, the New Hyde Park. These are all right there along the border. And to have 1,000 people who don't have jobs can be wandering around doing whatever. They're unvetted. Uh, no one really knows who they are or what they're up to. This is a real concern, a very legitimate concern for the people in those communities. I had a woman who used to work for me who lives in Florida Park. She is irate. She's nervous, quite frankly. She has young daughters. The last thing you need is to have a 1,000 people, you don't know who they are, without jobs, uh, living in a, a large tent in a parking lot uh, off, off the side of Creedmoor, right there on the Nassau County border. So that is really people concerned. I give Curtis, you know, Curtis and I sometimes go back and forth on other issues. But on this one, he is 100% right. Thank God that he was out there the other night, I guess it was Wednesday night, at uh, Creedmoor leading the demonstration. I know he got himself arrested. But, he, again, he just to me, this is so important to focus attention on this. And there's not even a question. Even if you found basis for all the people, all the migrants now that are in New York, next week we have another 1,000 coming in. I mean, they're just coming one after the other. There's no end to this. And that's, that's the real issue here. Uh, it's bad enough what we have now, but it's going to get worse by the week. So it's really important that people stand up. And what, you know, the governor can't be blaming the mayor. The mayor can't be blaming the governor. They have to find a way to get it done, and both of them have to focus on Joe Biden, because if he secured the border, we wouldn't have this issue right now. And that's what it's a direct relation to. It's a direct result of the border being in- insecure. And now the other one adds to all that is you have the borough president of Queens saying that the Nassau Coliseum should be used as a homeless shelter. I know County Executive Bruce Blakeman is irate over this. He will fight it as hard as he can if they try to do this. 
But to me, it's like going to be ruining a very great suburban county, which has been on the edge of New York City. We've been able to manage the crossover crime, all of that. The police department does a great job. But they're, listen, there are big taxes in Nassau County. You have a lot of people who, are, because of COVID and the economy and inflation, have really been hit hard. Now, to add to that, by having the, the threat of, again, people coming in and, listen, John, you know, you are an immigrant yourself. I'm a grandson of immigrants. I grew up in an immigrant community. And immigrants can be the lifeline of our country. But it has to be done legally. It has to be a method to know who's coming in to make sure they're in good health. And also, well, as far Peter. as the numbers. Uh, Congressman King, legally or illegally, there got to be checks and balances. The amount of, Absolutely. you know, the, you know, we had Ellis Island when when your forefathers came to America and my uh, grandfathers came to America. And immigration, yes, but I think we should check and make sure they're not terrorists, that they're not drug dealers. And we don't want drug dealers. We don't want terrorists. We don't want people that are going to hate America. So I don't understand what President Biden is doing. We don't want drugs to be coming through the borders like they are through from China gangs to Mexican gangs killing our people. I mean, does anybody know why President Biden is doing this? John, all I can figure out is some sort of a progressive open border policy where we basically say, you know, we're all one world, we're all one group of people, and we shouldn't be excluding. We have to help everyone. Listen, we help more than we, the United States helps more people in more countries than anybody else in the world. The fact is, you can't have a place like New York City, which is already is having severe economic problems because of COVID, because of crime, and there's a shortage of housing. We have homeless people of our own. And now to have 40, 50,000 new people coming in with no housing available for them, no jobs available for them, and also the schools. How are the schools going to cope with all these kids coming in, many of whom will not be able to speak English. They don't come from full families at this stage. And a lot of of diseases are coming in with these migrants, uh, and because nobody is checking at them at the border. And some of these kids are going into schools in Nassau County and Queens County, with with diseases and nobody's checking them. I mean, how how can this got to be a, the the biggest thing, the worst thing that can happen to the American people? John, I I think so. I think this is uh, indefensible. What's happening now? And the president acts like he's oblivious to it. He acts like the only issue is he is oblivious to it. I and I, I say that yeah. sadly. I've, I've known him. I don't know, for 30 years. And while I may have had differences with him over the years, you know, people may have a hard time believing it. He was usually very sharp. He had a good sense of humor. He's pretty quick now. He looks like he's in another world. And I think you have a staff around him, a very progressive left-wing people, and they're guiding the policy. And that's the progressive policy of having as much open immigration, as much open borders as possible. And the people who suffer the most, you start off, you know, the middle-income people trying to get by, they suffer. Also, the people in the lower-income areas who already are beset by crime, it's adds to them. And it's just, John, it makes no sense. And I don't see an end in sight unless the border is secure. I agree 100%. At least... The border is secured. Immigration, yes, we want immigration, but we got to make sure that it's not bad people and bad diseases coming into our into our our country. Well, Peter King, Congressman for twenty eight years, thank you so much for for coming on this Sunday morning, and I'll see you on Monday. I'll see you in the studio on Monday. Absolutely, John. Looking forward to it. With us today is uh, Vito Fasella, the borough president of Staten Island. He's got a migrant problem too, and. uh, Borough President Fasella, give us a, a what is going on in Staten Island. What what are we doing? 
Well, first off, John, thank you so much for having me. I really always appreciate being with you. Uh, and what we have is, is not unique uh, to Staten Island, and it's not new to New York City. Uh, we've been banging the drum for about a year that when uh, New York City said, uh, come on up, we'll take care of you, we'll put you in a hotel, we'll feed you indefinitely, we'll do free health care, free education. You know, who's going to say no to that? So as a result, uh, to date, almost 100,000 have arrived and the city is currently scrambling to find places for the asylum seekers to live, and they're coming to Staten Island. And what we've said from day one is the policy is unsustainable and that the people of Staten Island didn't create this problem. It was the federal government that allowed the open borders uh, to, to remain open and watch that flood come up from Texas, from Arizona, and elsewhere. And now we're, we're seeing it uh, every single day on Staten Island. And most recently... Uh, not only will they plan to convert and form a uh, facility that houses senior citizens to migrants, but they're looking at a place called Fort Wadsworth, which was an active military installation and currently a national park and shared by the U.S. Coast Guard. So that means that there were young military families living there, and just a few hundred feet from their homes, they're contemplating putting uh, a migrant tent facility there. And what we say is if you're going to put them here before you do anything in Staten Island, put them in the National Mall in Washington, D.C., because that's where the problem ultimately will be solved. Yes, it's, it's Washington created the problem. Washington, I understand that the, the President Biden's representative, Perez, came to New York and told the mayor that they can't have any money from Washington until after Biden's reelection. I mean, is that true? Is that, I, I saw it in several places, I, and I really, uh, some people are denying it, some people are telling you it's true. Hey John, you're, you're the person who I admire so much because of your common sense and your trust but verify, and you see what's real and what's not real. So the, the bottom line, I, as I see it, is I don't know what to believe. You know, these are the same folks who say the border is closed and there's no problem, right? <laughs> I mean, how, on, with, with straight faces, they say it, but we know it's not true. So how can we really take into account what they say about other things? And the money is real. You know, about a year ago, we talked about $600 million to accommodate the migrants. Now that they're talking about $12 billion. So the price tag has jumped two, 20 times in less than a year. And you're talking about po possibly spending about $140,000 per year for a migrant family. And what can't be surprised, because if you're paying 300 bucks a night, uh, that's $9,000 a month just in a, for a hotel room. And if they're staying well, the whole year, just do the myth. Somebody's getting rich in those hotel rooms. I wonder who that is. Well, that's a, that's a topic for another day. But there's no question if the city comes along and says, we want to rent your room for $300 a night indefinitely, who's not going to take that deal? And we think yes, that's everybody sort of would what take that. Happened at the high, the, we think that's what happened at the senior center. There was talk about selling the building, um, perhaps a per, couple of prospective buyers, and then they pulled the, the rug out from that, and all of a sudden, voila, uh, they're turning it over to a migrant shelter, and I, we don't even know what they're, what they're charging there. So the full circle is this, this problem has been unsustainable. I believe that the right to shelter concept should be challenged because it was never meant to accommodate 100,000, 200,000 people. It was, me it was uh, meant for it was meant for a few thousand people, or a couple of hundred people, or a couple of families. It wasn't meant for 100,000 people. It's out of control. It was actually meant originally 40, about 40 years ago for a handful of men 
who were homeless, derelicts, whatever you want to call them, in the Bowery for the winter months. And that has morphed into this concept. It is not a law. People say it's a law. It is not a law. People say it's in the New York State Constitution. It is not. It is a consent decree that should and could be challenged, and that will help to solve this problem as well. Vito Fasella, Borough President, uh, Staten Island, thank you so much for uh, bringing everybody up to date this Sunday morning, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, John. Have a great Sunday. Appreciate it. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. It's Sunday morning. Play ball. With us today is Eric Shuffler, and he's the president of the Ferry Hawks. And Eric, how's it going? Uh, it is a super exciting time on Staten Island. You know, we, John, we had the Savannah Bananas in last weekend. Amazing. Two full houses. Really incredible. And the Ferry Hawks are on a roll. There is a pennant race in New York City, John. That sounds great. You're tied for first place and uh, looking forward to maybe you're winning a pennant. Uh, now, they, the team comes back on Tuesday from being on the road, and then you're playing next weekend. Tell us about that. We've been in Maryland, and the team comes back tomorrow, tonight after the game. They'll be here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So six straight home games. Really important games. We're in the thick of a pennant race, fighting for a title. There's a pennant race in New York City, John, and it's on Staten Island, and fans can come out. They can take the ferry. We're right next to the ferry. Great parking. Come out and support some really, a lot of local players, a lot of superstars. Well, I look forward to the games, and uh, you also have, uh, in in the future, uh, I think the NYPD, the police department plays the fire department. We're going to find out who's tougher. We got a big game, August 26th at 3 o'clock. The first ever FDNY NYPD softball game, followed by Ferry Hawks versus Long Island Ducks game at 6:30 that night, and fireworks afterwards. So you get to support, you know, our police and firemen who protect us every day, and women. You get to watch a playoff contending baseball team, and you get fireworks. And tell everybody how to get to the Ferry Hawks uh, Stadium. And we get a lot of people from Manhattan because they can go on the ferry for free. We are seeing more and more Manhattan people coming over. They take the ferry. It's part of the adventure. You can take the traditional Staten Island ferry. New York EDC has a fast ferry, both of which are within two minutes of the stadium. You know, we're located at 75 Richmond Terrace. Easy parking, bus transportation, mass transit, train transportation. So we're seeing really great crowds, and they're building as people are getting excited to watch a playoff race uh, in September and August. Well, I look forward to it. I will definitely be there for the NYPD uh, Fire Department uh, uh, baseball game. And uh, God bless you, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. God bless USA. Thank you, John. With us today is Steve Tates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And every Sunday morning, he makes our mind expand a little, and we look up in the skies and say, what the heck is up there? Well, Steve Cates, it's Sunday morning again. What is going on? Give us something exciting that uh, uh, that's maybe good news versus all the other bad news we hear. Well, John, good to be with you and the listeners as we open everybody's mind this morning. We start off with Russia and their Luna 25 moon mission. The Russians haven't been back to the moon soft landing since about 1976, about 50 years ago. They landed a spacecraft there. It blasted off the moon with six ounces of moon dust, and it returned here to the Earth. NASA made a trade with them way back when for about six ounces of that material and trading for some Apollo moon rocks. But the story on Luna 25, John, is interesting. 
This spacecraft, launched on the 11th of August, is attempting to make the first, here we go, the first soft landing on the moon in the southern pole of the moon. Very difficult to do, but they've got competition. The Indian Chandrayaan-3 spacecraft is also scheduled to do this, so there might be a small space race there. But if the Russians do it, they will try to do it on August the 21st, which is probably tomorrow, as we know. This is exciting because all activity on the moon, as far as future exploration, is all going to be centered around the south pole of the moon. So exciting times for spacecraft. Wow. I mean, uh, that, that is something. I mean, uh, what does it mean? Well, it means more of kind of like a, a bang on your chest and ego thing, maybe for the Russians or the Indian nation of their space program. Because to do it, the difficulty is it's such a rocky place and it's in pretty much darkness. But remember, the Chinese did this. This is even more incredible. They soft landed on the far side of the moon with a thing called the Chung'e 4 back in just a few days of 2019. But this opens up the exploration of the moon because if we're going to have people living on the surface or exploring it, you have to first get there, right, with the soft landing of a spacecraft. So that's quite fascinating. But here's something else, John, we talk about. You know, we all watched Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone. Who hasn't seen it? But it's interesting to note that he made a big dimensional mistake in the opening narration of his first program. The first episode was October 2, 1959. And this is what he said. He mentioned in his opening that there's a sixth dimension. Well, CBS executives pulled him aside and said, you know, we know that there are four dimensions. What's four dimensions? There's three to make a cube if you look at the cube dimensionally, and the fourth dimension would put it where it exists in time. So he went on the air with his opening comments and said the sixth dimension, he actually skipped the fifth. Sadly, he believed in a fifth dimension, which there really wasn't, or anything like it. So guess what, John? They had to reshoot the whole opener. An interesting story from the world of sci-fi trivia. But we also well, find something. Even I remember more those shows. They were always weren't they? interesting. Yes, they're so amazing. Even today, they talk about space travel. They talk about time and space. But it's sad that Rod Serling, a great, a great guy, of course, you know, always with a cigarette in his hand, and looking at that camera with that stoic, straight-faced look right in the camera. It's really one of the classics. Other than the other one, which was called The Outer Limits, which was also quite fascinating. Yeah. But we always try to entice people as far as opening their minds. And here's an interesting one. Our mystery of the week actually is something that's quite phenomenal. The man who developed special and general theory of relativity, we know, is Albert Einstein. Well, what happened to Einstein's brain? Well, first, John, let's talk about what happened to him. He died on April 18, 1955, of a burst aortic aneurysm. Well, we'll get Dr. Mikolos to comment on this in detail. I'm not a medical doctor. But a doctor named Dr. Thomas Harvey allegedly did the autopsy on Albert Einstein. Whether he had permission or not is still open to question. He removed the brain, and he also removed the eyes of the great Albert Einstein and gave them to his ophthalmologist. But what he did was he kept the brain kind of for 40 years, kind of dissected pieces of it. And it's been such a quandary because when they weighed his brain, John, the brain of Albert Einstein weighed 2.71 pounds. I guess that's a little heavier than most. But from the science side, and I'm not the medical doctor here, 
He had more glial cells, but the concentration was on the left side of the brain. That would be a Dr. Mikolos conversation. But the point is, that brain was missing for so long. It was cut up into smaller pieces, and it actually made a trip in a car, a Buick Skylark, when this particular man, Dr. Harvey, traveled to California to give pieces of it to the granddaughter of Albert Einstein. That has to be one of the most bizarre stories in the world, don't you think? Um, yes, it is. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, how much more did it weigh than a normal brain then? Not sure. I think it weighed slightly more, but they said the shape of it was kind of a little different than most brains. But there were some sections in the brain that obviously were so unique when they looked at it that they said, wow. And this is not the only brain that's ever been kept in history. There were some other famous people's brains who have been kept just to study to see. But what he was trying to do is search for the whole answer to the question, what is genius? But again, with this great Einstein, the father of relativity, special in general relativity, it's just amazing. There must have been something really special about his brain than an average person on the street, as we all know. So a great story to talk about. And always what we do is we talk about the live sky. We tell people, you know, to encourage them to look at the sky, take our minds away from the planet and all the political things that are happening and all the other things. Let's have some fun. So you simply look into the Northwest this week, tonight particularly, you see the moon starting to grow in size again, a whole new lunar cycle. By the 30th, the moon's going to return to the second full moon to the moon of the month. We call it, at least some people do, a blue moon. But this will be a super moon, so it's a super blue moon because it's very, very close to the Earth. And Saturn, amazing planet. I'm watching it in the telescope. If people have a small telescope, binoculars, you can at least find it. Naked eye, you can see it. Look in the low part of the southeast sky around 9 p.m. Saturn gets close to the Earth. But still, John, it's 847 million miles away on this magical planet, the first of the many ring planets that was ever discovered. Fascinating stuff. Steve Cates, thank you for your briefing this Sunday morning. Look forward to next Sunday. And let's, uh, let's, something, let's find something else for next Sunday that really expands the mind. And thank we you so do, much. John. Thank, thank you, you so Have much. Have a good Sunday. Bye now. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is former Senator Alphonse D'Amato, and he's always feels emotional about our country and wants to get the right thing done. Uh, Senator D'Amato, there's so many things wrong right now in Washington and New York. Where do you want to start? Well, uh, this disgrace that is destroying this country comes from Washington. And, 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 it, and it comes from the failure of leadership of Joe Biden. It's incredible, incredible. You know, former President John F. Kennedy, he took responsibility after the Bay of Pigs fiasco. And, and he, he said, famous quote, and he said, success has 100 fathers, but failure is an orphan. Well, let me tell you, Joe Biden's immigration policy, it's a failure. And you can say whatever you want about Trump, okay? An ego a maniac uh, who acted, I believe, improperly after the election. He should have told the people who came down there on January 6th, go home, go home. 
We're a peaceful country. You can object, but we do things peacefully, and we don't need. But but he didn't do that. But Trump had a successful policy as it related to immigration. He said, we catch you, you stay in Mexico. It was a stay in Mexico policy. What did we do? Biden, catch and release. Catch and release. And what has that done? Don't don't believe me because you say, oh, he's a Republican. He says, no. Look at the results. He's flooded the country with illegals. You have more than 2 million illegals every year coming into this country under Biden. And they get released. And there and are countless hundreds of thousands of others who don't get caught. And the drugs that are coming into this country, killing our citizens, killing our kids. Take a look at New York City. Incredible. Incredible. New York City, we have now 100,000 illegals. 100,000. But what you don't think of is there are 20,000 children who we're going to be sending to school. You know what it costs, John, to educate those kids? $25,000 a year. So that's. Senator, you know what's worse than that? A lot of them have diseases that our kids are going to catch. Okay. And, but that's a half a billion dollars a year to educate illegal migrants who shouldn't be here in the first place. And, and what is it going to do to the school system? It's like you say, many of these kids have all kinds of problems. This is incredible. The federal government should at least be helping pay for the illegal immigrant students who are going to impact the schools. And the way you pointed out, John, that's not even taken into consideration the illnesses, the diseases, et cetera, that will spread as a result of those who haven't been vaccinated, those who carry diseases, and, uh, et cetera, with them. Incredible. Let me tell you something. Biden has helped destroy this country. And what's taking place in New York City is taking place in just about every major city in this country. They're all being adversely impacted tremendously. And then he wants to uh, point the finger at the governor of Texas. What's he supposed to do? Have have eight million illegals who have come in just sit in his state and they're going to take care of them? I don't blame him for busing them, for saying, where would you like to go and and moving them out? He's, He's doing what any governor who has half a brain would be doing. This is incredible. And it's hurting New York. It's hurting our nation. It is a disaster. And and Joe Biden should be ashamed of himself. And by the way, why doesn't he say, no, we're going to send them back to Mexico until they're cleared, etc. And they come in the right way. Not just a week. I agree. We, when we we, when your family, Senator, when your family came over from Italy, my family came over from Greece and Italy, uh, yep. there used to be Ellis Island that me and uh, yep. um, uh, our friend Bill Fugazi used to run. And, and, yep. and, and Ellis Island and you used to... You had to have sponsors. You had yes, to have yes. sponsors. You had to have a place to live. You had to have people who would help you. They checked on you to see that you weren't a criminal. 
They checked on you to see that your health was such that they could release you, not that they're just releasing these people into our cities and, and their kids into our schools, and then they go on welfare. You didn't have that kind of situation then. And here we have turned this into a travesty. That's what not – America's not about that. Yeah, we're a sanctuary country, but you have rules. And you can only take in so many at a time. You just can't take everybody who arrives at your doorstep who is needy and say, come on in uh, and, and just go wherever you want. And, and you, you know, by the way, show up on an appointed court date and 90 percent of them don't show up. They don't show up. And, and, and they're, they're out there and they they weigh down communities. Imagine taking uh, taking children's school fields. You're, you're taking the field over there um, um, where they where they play soccer uh, and, and and you're turning that in to a shelter for migrants and now youngsters, high school kids, etc, uh, who would compete athletically can't do that. I mean, I mean New York City, we're so wealthy that we can find other places for these kids to work out. This, this is ridiculous. So uh, this is we are now uh, uh, creating a crisis of monumental proportions, and it is all the fault. Uh, of you know who, uh, the president, Joe Biden, and his administration, his failure uh, to secure the border. Why We've got to secure, secure the borders. Border? It's ruining New York. It's ruining our country. And it's bringing ruining diseases country, in. By the way, in yeah. honor of our friend today, I must remind you, we, he was a good friend to both of us. Today is Bill Fugazi's birthday. He would have been, oh. uh, my God, he would have been 98. A good guy, really, a, a fighter uh, for New York. He loved it. He loved this nation. And and he did not put partisan politics ahead of what was good for the country. He, he, always he ran Ellis he Island the way, the way him and Lee Iacocca ran Ellis Island along with George Steinbrenner, and they, they did a great job. Yeah, yeah. And and today, you, you know what's a, a tragedy? Uh, this nation is declining. And what do you think uh, our allies throughout the world are saying? What do you think the European countries are now saying? They're looking where they were once ready to follow us, etc. And they're wondering, they're wondering, and they're beginning to lose confidence in the United States. And who does that strengthen? It strengthens the, the communist Chinese. It's uh, it strengthens Russia. It strengthens all of our enemies, enemies of the United States, enemies against democracy. That's what we're doing. Our allies don't trust us. And, Senator and Alphonse D'Amato, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on and, and, and thank you for everything you continue to do for our country. And God bless you and God bless America. And, I want to um, leave you with one final thought, John. Let me say this me. to you. I think Biden is hanging on to protect his son. And don't be a bit surprised. Every father does that. The, if he is not the candidate at the end and he drops out because are catching on. 
They should have caught on a long time ago. One of these days, I'll come on your program, and I want to play his recording, and you have it, of him bragging and saying how he got the prosecutor fired, fired in the Ukraine who was investigating his son's company. And he said, unless you fire him in six hours, I'm going back to the United States and the billion dollars I have with me, I'm taking. And then he starts laughing. Ha, ha, ha. What more proof do you know need? That's him bragging about this. Thank you so much, and God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. Good being with you, John. Bye now. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.